Yeah, but uh, I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, Sabbath today, and I hope uh, that you will enjoy it. Okay? And so uh, uh, the text today is taken from uh, Luke uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to read this to you. We're ready for the word of God? Amen? All right, here goes. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now, some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I shared with uh, uh, the congregation yesterday, you know, whenever you hear the word Pharisee, means not good. All right, Pharisees are always people there, uh, that's always there to judge you. All right, so uh, when somebody says that you are Pharisaeical, all right, don't jump out in joy and say, Hallelujah. All right, Pharisees, not good. Okay, Pharisees. And so Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now the text here recounts how on a Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples were walking through, you know, the grain field like I said just now. And his disciples began to pick some grain. You know, they were rubbing it in their hands, you know, to break uh, uh, break it and eat it. But the Pharisees saw them and rebuked them for doing what was unlawful on a Sabbath day. In essence, they were doing what? They were eating like, uh, you know, grains, uh, you really have to break it to be able to eat what is inside, right? Uh, But the Pharisees said, you know, they were actually sinning. All right, it's like um, today, somebody gave you a a peanut. You break that peanut and eat it, and it was considered sin. Okay, now, and so today I'm going to share with you uh, uh, what is essentially the fourth of God's Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And it says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, see, in the first two verses of Luke 6, the disciples were accused of breaking the Sabbath by the Pharisees because reaping grain was one of the 39 forms of work that was forbidden in the Sabbath by the halakha. Now, what is the halakha? Halakha is the Jewish law or regulations. Now, I mean, they were just picking grain, right? Rub them in their hands to break it and then eat it. But they were rebuked for breaking a law. It was sin. Now, most of us use and read this as an example of the legalistic and moralistic nature of the Jewish laws. We look and talk of how impractical it is and how glad we are that Jesus came to set us free from those laws. But notice, Jesus' reaction and response was not to tell the Pharisees that I, the Son of Man, have come to do away with the laws of the Sabbath or to get us beyond all of this. Instead, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is saying that He is the creator of the Sabbath. Sabbath rest is crucial to making life human. It is a gift, crucial to what governs our life. It is, in fact, it is a commandment of God. Now, Judith Shulovitz, in an article she wrote for the New York Times entitled, Bring Back the Sabbath, says this. Now, about a decade ago, I developed a full-blown weekend disorder. My mood would darken until by Saturday afternoon, I'd be unresponsive and morose. 
my normal routine, which involved brunch with friends and swapping tales of misadventure in the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. I started spending Saturdays by myself. After a while, I got lonely and did something that, as a teenager, profoundly put off by her religious education, I could never imagine wanting to do. I began dropping in on my nearby synagogue. Now, synagogue in, um, is the Jewish church, all right? Just to let you know. Now, it was only much later that I developed a theory about my condition. I was suffering from a lack of a Sabbath. Now, there is ample evidence that our relationship to work is out of whack. Ours is a society that pegs status to overachievement. We can't help admiring workaholics. Let me argue instead, on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. Now, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. This is why the Puritan and the Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. Wow, that's a lot of words. Now, this article is an account of how work had taken over so much of her life that she had forgotten or no longer knew how to rest. Now, in the day she was not working, she found herself not wanting to talk to anybody. Or worse, she was bad-tempered. Now, even when she was relaxing with friends over brunch, you know, New Yorkers like, eh, like to hang out in cafes, you know, coffee, selfie, you know, take photo of the cake, all right? Malaysians are the same, okay? All right? Now, when she was relaxing with friends over brunch, talking about romance, career, which is typically what we all talk about, all right, and traveling the world, she found herself feeling restless. Eventually, she tried to spend weekends by herself, but even that made her extremely lonely. You see, Judith was suffering from a condition which experts would call workaholism. And so one day, she found herself going to a place she could never imagine herself going back to the synagogue. You see, as a teenager, she was profoundly put off by her religious education. Judith was brought up in an environment where she had to strictly follow the Jewish, Jewish Sabbath laws. You see, it was rigid and it was very restrictive. And it turned her off from a very young age. Now, to give you an idea of what the Jewish Sabbath regulations look like, I want to show you this on the screen, all right? Here, this is what it looks like. 39 of them. Okay, this is just some of them, 11 of them, okay? Things that you cannot do, okay? Yup, the last one you can see, carrying. So, for me to do this, yeah? Carry a cup. It is sin. Carrying is also the sin. So that was how restrictive it was, alright? And very, very impractical, alright? Now, these are the things you cannot do on the Sabbath according to the Jewish laws. And so when she grew up and moved to New York City to work, she ran as far away as she could from the faith of her youth. She seized her newfound freedom and plunged deep into the high-achieving whatever it takes to succeed work environment of the mega city. You see, it was exciting for sure, but there was also an inner restlessness that she couldn't explain. 
And so as she spent more and more time in a synagogue, it changed her life in a million unexpected ways. She began to appreciate the very things that put her off so much as a teenager. She realized that those Jewish laws, though restrictive and mostly impractical, managed to keep workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. She found herself now, ironically, arguing for their benefits. Now, the main point is this. Judith came to understand her condition. She was suffering from a lack of a Sabbath rest. You see, church, we are living in probably the most workaholic generation in human history. Now, I know some of us don't have this problem, okay? Some of us have a problem called restaholism, all right? Or sleepaholism, okay? (laughs) I know when I was 16 years old, you know, my biggest problem was restaholism, you know? (laughs) Okay? So, you know, those of you who do not have this workaholism problem, all right, this message is not for you, okay? (laughs) All right? But by and large, by and large, all right? To live in any mega city of the world today, whether you're living in KL uh, or New York City, you know, or I just came back from Manila, you know, a few weeks ago, and it's wow, it's a very stressful city to be in. Okay, uh, even Jakarta, okay, Jakarta, you know, half your time is in traffic jam. All right, so it's a very stressful city. Okay, our relationship to work as a society has become seriously out of balance. Our lives have become a constant rush from one thing to another: work, school. Family, meeting deadlines, and chasing targets. Even our holidays, all right, turn fun into work. What do I mean by that, all right? We budget and work out our logistics like the military, right? What do we do? We pack as many things we can do and visit and eat in X number of days. Correct or not? Those of you nowadays that you plan for your holidays, right? Why are you... Why wow, are you like military general like that? You know, you sit down. Okay, I'm going to plan. Day one must do what? The moment I land from the plane, all right? I'm going to go to this restaurant and eat. After that, I'm going to go to this place to shop. After that, I'm going to this place for sightseeing. All right, your holidays, right? Seems like a, well, a military strategy. All right, so it feels like work. All right, you're going to squeeze everything that 10 days you're going to make my most value for money. That is not a holiday. You come back, you need another holiday to recover from the holiday. Correct or not? Agree with me? Correct? Now, even shopping, shopping. Okay, shopping, everybody's um, hobby. It's like competition these days. We fight with time in pursuit of a great sale. We fight with time. What do I mean by that? How many of you stay up late at night for Lazada 11-11 sale? Right. Or Air Asia free seat tickets. You only can do it after midnight. So you wake up, wow, you cannot, wow, you wake up in the middle of the night. Wow, like that. Bye, 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 bye. The next day you're so tired you cannot work. Alright, so it's a competition against time. Even that feels like, well, it's supposed to be planning for a holiday. Alright? And so friends, let me tell you something. You are really naive if you think that you can just you can rest just by simply sleeping or shutting off whenever you feel tired. The ability to rest, to deeply rest, is crucial to life. No one can do without it. It is not natural, it is not simple. It is absolutely difficult. It takes an enormous amount of discipline and practice. That is why the Jewish Sabbath laws had to be so detailed and intentional. It was not to make our life more difficult. They were meant to show us that our non-stop striving needs to be interrupted by a determined act of will on our part. It is a habit that has to be built and enforced in our lives. Amen. 
That is why during the silent retreat, all right, those of you uh, uh, hear a lot about uh, us sharing about it, uh, pastor and 13 of us uh, went for silent retreat. That's why during the silent retreat, right, uh, the rule is we have to shut our mouths. And also devices, handphones also cannot use. No talking, no working for one whole week. Now, the rules of the retreat is that we spend an hour each morning and evening in chapel service. And the rest of the day, praying, meditating, resting, and just creating space in our souls for God to speak to us once again. Now, you might think that is, that is easy. But it took me, at, at least, you know, it took me three full days for me to actually get into the rhythm of it. It took me three full days, you know, for me to, um, I don't want to sound new age, yeah, but to empty myself. All right? So that God could really speak to me once again, to declutter what was in my mind from work and everything. It took me three full days. Right? So, before I could actually get into the rhythm and state of rest. So that is how difficult it is. You think, okay, just give an example again, right? How many of you think that uh, all of us pray, right? Pray, right? If you don't pray, you better... Don't have to raise it. <laughs> all of us pray, right? Correct? Okay? Yeah. You know that when you pray, you cannot just come to God and God will suddenly appear to you. Correct? Right? You need to... When you pray, you need to uh, get yourself ready. You need to wait on God. You cannot just expect you to turn up. You just come up and you say, God, please turn up. Or just turn up now. It's not possible. Alright, so we need to prepare ourselves. We need to get our hearts ready. Alright, for God to appear to us. So God to speak to us. Alright, okay. Now, why is it so hard for many people in general to rest? Now, because modern society doesn't give us space to really rest. There are, there are, uh, uh, there are different factors for different people. Alright, I know this is not comprehensive. But these are generally the, generally the four main trends or reasons our current society faces. Number one. There has never been a time when job security is so insecure. Whether we run businesses or work for someone, we are constantly threatened by the fact that if we don't perform, if we don't hit our targets, if we don't make a profit, we will be eliminated, replaced, or become obsolete. Correct? Secondly, the more successful and rich you are, the more time and energy you need to put to maintain that success. Correct or not? The irony is, the less successful and wealthy you are, the same applies. You also need to put more time and energy in order to survive. For example, take multiple jobs. Correct? So everyone is overworked, no matter where you are in an economic scale. Thirdly, technology. I remember years ago, you know, um, um, when BlackBerry first came out, uh, I was one of the earliest people to use it. You all know this is a BlackBerry, right? All right, for those of you that do not know, BlackBerry once ruled the world. <laughs> okay, way before there was Apple, uh, Samsung, uh, BlackBerry ruled the world. All right, everybody was using BlackBerry. This one happened to be the first generation BlackBerry, okay, and I was the proud owner of one, once upon a time. Okay, now, no one in the company was using it, not even my boss. Now, why did I want to use it? I needed it because of, the, of my line of work, all right? I was, the, I was in the export business, uh, and my clients were mostly all in Europe. So uh, this meant that their, their, um, their days would be my nights, and my nights would be their days, all right? And sometimes uh, we, um, there's an overlap on the weekends, all right? Um, uh, in order for them to receive a shipment on Monday, means that I have to send out my shipment on Sunday, 
All right, so my weekends will very much be work also. Okay, so, uh, um, and we were also dealing with live fish. All right, means um, um, it's not a makan one. Uh, this is a live one. Okay, this is a sen sen Okay, so um, making sure that my sh my shipment arrived in good condition was very very important in my line of business. All right, and so I proposed to my company that I get a BlackBerry because I wanted to provide good customer service by giving quick responses. Man, was it the biggest mistake of my life? My life, as it was, ended the day I got my BlackBerry. I found myself waking up in the middle of the night, checking my emails, asking my clients, how was the shipment? 2 a.m. in the morning, I wake up, oh, rub my eyes, check this, yeah. Well, shipment okay, ma. Message my clients, how was the shipment, ah? Was it okay? Everything okay? 24 hours, I was doing that. My weekends, I was also checking my emails. Time spent with family, also I was checking my emails. Alright? My wife got so upset that she wanted to throw away my whole Blackberry. Of course, these days, you know, we, we check Facebook like, in the middle of the night. We check our Instagram in the middle of the night. Alright? But for me, I really work one. <laughs> work. Okay? Amen? <laughs> okay? Now, and so, the fact is this. You can now work anywhere and at any time. But this also means that now we are working all the time. We can't stop work from spilling over and seeping into every area of our lives. And fourthly, in traditional societies, to some our parents and our grandparents' generation. See, they derive meaning and significance in life through family. Now, I want, uh, I want to try to explain this properly, all right? I want you to slowly absorb, okay? Now, in traditional societies, to some of our parents and our grandparents' generation, uh, uh, most of them derive their meaning and significance in life through family. Now, what do I mean by that? Through fulfilling a prescribed social role. You're either a father, a mother, a husband or wife, son or daughter. Now, the main priority of work was more to provide than for significance. What they wanted to do mattered less than what was necessary. Basically, what, what their priority was is, all right? Whatever it takes to survive and to provide. The most important thing is that I can provide for my family. What I wanted to do mattered less, all right? Feeding the family was more important. The most important role for the family is to be a good father or a good mother. Agree? All right? Now, that is why the parents always tell us, so you, you begin to understand why our parents or our grandparents always tell us, you know, um, your passion can feed you. Uh. Correct, uh. they always tell us, passion can feed you. Uh. What artist, la, what designer, la, musician, la, you know, designer, you know, actor, la, how, how to feed you? All right? So that is the reason why they always insist that we have to be doctors, lawyers, engineers. All right? Because to them, um, uh, to be able to provide, to be able to make good income is more important. So to them, right, passion is never an important thing. All right? But these days, you know, all of us, you know, our jobs have to be uh, what we are passionate about. Like my daughter, my daughter took design. All right? I have no problem with it. But today, if, I'm, uh, if uh, it was 30, 40 years ago, I'll definitely not allow my daughter to be a designer. I said, wow, just see me. <laughs> Eat what? <laughs> you can't say no, right? That is their way of thinking. All right? So, all right? So in our current modern society, probably for the first time, in our lives, 
The focus is now on the individual self. You decide what you want to be. More than to make a living or to provide, work now has to have meaning and significance. Work now very much defines us as humans. This means that there has never been more pressure on work because not only is it necessary for our survival, but also to give us our sense of significance, fulfillment and reward. This also means that physically on the outside, we desperately need rest more than ever, but have less time than ever to rest. And emotionally on the inside, we have less ability to rest and relax because so much of our meaning in life is tied to our work. So what we have now is a problem that goes much deeper. On the one hand, we are in need of physical rest, but on a deeper level, more crucially, we need deep spiritual rest. Now, in the article, Judith talked about constantly feeling restless. She couldn't shut down, the term she used is this, yeah? The internal machinery of self-censorship and the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Let me repeat that again. Very big words, all right? The internal machinery of self-censorship and the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Now, what does she mean by that? Right? It is not guilt. What she means is the constant need to prove yourself to others and also to yourself. It is always simmering inside of us, the eternal inner murmur. This is what you call the work underneath the work, the physical work on the outside and the spiritual work on the inside. This inside work is what, make, is what wears down the outside work because it is never enough. You know you have to, you know you have, to have real sleep and I, I mean, let me, get, let, me, let me just uh, rephrase that again, all right? Now, you know to have real sleep, yeah, that really restores you. Uh, sleep experts tell us that it is not just the amount of sleep, but the depth of sleep that we need to have. This kind of sleep is called REM, all right? Um, rapid eye movement sleep. Not REM, the band, okay? REM, rapid eye movement sleep. This happens only after a prolonged period of unbroken sleep that you reach that depth. This means that you need to sleep continuously, for seven or eight hours in order for it to be effective. That's why parents of newborn babies always find it so tiring the next day because they have to wake up so many times at night. Correct? Alright, so to have a, a deep sleep, you need to sleep for eight hours straight. Alright, not the broken one hour in the morning, one in the afternoon, you know, one in the, you know, something like that. You know, you, it cannot be broken. It has to be um, continuous you, before you actually are fully restored and fully rested. Okay? So what is more important is not the amount of sleep, but the depth of sleep that gives us true rest and restoration. That is why no matter how many vacations we take or how much sleep we have, somehow we don't feel truly rested. Now, to have true rest, we need to have deep spiritual rest. Now, where do we find that rest? Jesus said in Luke 6 uh, verse 5 says, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that for us to find true rest, we must come to Him. He is the creator of rest. He is the source of rest. Jesus is where all the Sabbath regulations point to because He is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who can give you the deep rest of the soul that you most need because He is the Lord of rest. This means that if you want to rest, you have got to go to Him. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is a Lord of rest? What does it mean that He gives you rest? 
Now, Genesis verse 1 and 2, chapter 1 and 2, is the account of God creating the world. It's, a, uh, it's the uh, creation account. All right? Now, in it, God created the land and the sea, the creatures, the plants, the sky, and water. You will notice that each time God finished creating something, He will always say what? What did He say? What? It is good. And then He creates again. Looks at the finished work and says, It is good. When He gets to the very end, He looks at all of His creation and says what? It is very good. Now, as Christians, we are told to imitate God. This means that we ought to approach life and work the way He approaches it. God is showing us a model of learning to stop and be satisfied with our finished work at every step and in every endeavour. Yes, the outcome and results will not always be ideal or what we hope for. It is not to say that we are to accept mediocrity or to lower our expectations, but to be thankful, to be satisfied, to be content with how much you have done so far and how much you have right now is how you get true rest. That rest underneath the rest. Because otherwise, our human hearts will never be satisfied. We'll always have that inner sense of discontentment, frustrations and expectations brimming inside our hearts. Saying, you know, always be saying inside our hearts, you know, this is not good enough. I should have done more. If only I did that. Let me give you an example of what I mean, all right? So two days ago, I taught church fight Bible study for the first time. At least you can clap, uh, clap, clap a bit. <laughs> now, there were a lot of things that I felt I could have done better, in all honesty, all right? Not the, con not the content, yeah, the content was excellent, okay? But I felt maybe I could have structured the lesson probably a little bit better, make it more digestible. But anyways, I felt really bad about it. I felt that it was uh, uh, such a waste, you know, that I didn't give uh, the material the justice it, uh, it deserved, you know. I, I felt that I shortchanged the material because uh, of the way I taught it. Pastor Andrew, Esther, um, actually, you know, uh, came to me and said, hey, Paji, it's okay, one. you know, you did perfectly fine, you know, don't worry about it, you know. Uh, Kason actually messaged me the next morning and said, Paji, it's good, it's good, you know, be happy, it's good. But I couldn't get over my own inner dissatisfaction. It bothered me the whole night. I couldn't sleep. Pastor Andrew is laughing. But the truth is, I couldn't sleep. And thus, I couldn't rest. I didn't know how to be satisfied with my finished work. Yes, there's a lot that I still need to improve and need to work on in terms of my teaching skills. But I also need to learn to be thankful, to be satisfied, to be content how far God has brought me and what I am right now. Otherwise, I will always be discontented and frustrated and I will never have true rest. You see, humans can never get true satisfaction except in God. This is the work underneath the work. No amount of sleep, time off, or vacations can take that inner restlessness away. Secondly, Hebrews 4 says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did 
from His. Now, see, this is an amazing statement. God rested from His works on the original Sabbath because the work was finished. We find rest from self-justifying works because Jesus finished the work on the cross. You see, everybody is serving something. Everybody is trying to get an identity out of something. But only if you make Jesus the meaning of your life will you get absolute rest. Only through Jesus will you be able to look at yourself, look at your work, look at everything and say, it is finished. Everything necessary that has to be done has been done. You see, friends, true rest is therefore not always having to prove yourself and your worth by your doing. Do not have to prove to others and yourself that you are somebody important. You see, religious people say, if I am good and I do many good works, God will accept me. Secular people say, if I am good and I do many good works, then people will accept me. But the gospel the finished work of Christ says, I am already accepted. Therefore, I am good. And then I do good works. You know, in a movie, Chariots of Fire, probably the only Hollywood movie that actually uh, talks about the Sabbath. You know, very rarely will you, uh, will you actually hear a, a Sabbath message without actually referring to, to this movie. Yeah? I know to a lot of us, what movie is this? You know, such an old movie. It doesn't relate to any of us, all right? But this is a, it was actually voted one of the uh, 50 top movies ever made. All right, Chariots of Fire, okay? Now, it tells the story of two runners comp competing in the Olympics. You see, it is a combination um, of years of training and a lifelong dream. One decides, one of the runners decides to skip the event because it fell on a Sabbath day. But the other says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. The one that skipped could have just taken part and no one, let alone God, will find fault with him. It was just one Sabbath. Just one Sabbath day. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But the key point here is this. That he chose, is, the key point is not that he chose to honour the Sabbath, which was good, but that winning the, winning the Olympics did not define him. He didn't need to, a medal to prove himself or his worth. He was secure in God. The other runner, on the other hand, saw winning the race as something that justified his entire existence. The irony is this. He will never find true rest because if he loses, he will be devastated. And even if he wins, it won't be long before he needs to prove himself again to find meaning in his life. Another movie, Rocky. Okay? How many of you know the movie Rocky? Alright? Yeah. Uh, you all know, those of you who don't know Rocky, uh, you know Creed, right? Creed the movie. Yeah? Uh, uh, Rocky is the mother of all Creeds. Okay? Yeah, it's the, in the beginning, there was Rocky. Then there was Creed. Okay? Uh, Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> when he was young, many, many years ago. You actually should read up uh, a little bit about the, the, um, the background about Rocky, alright? Uh, it's, uh, it's quite inspiring. Uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone actually uh, made that movie. He went to a lot of studios. Nobody wanted to make the movie. All right? And um, uh, he actually had to come up with his own money. But he went on to win the Best Picture, I think, and a huge box office success. 
made uh, Sylvester Stallone a very famous, famous movie star. All right. I always say that uh, it was in a time when Sylvester Stallone still looked good. <laughs> now he looked a bit funny. <laughs> okay. Now, the main character, Rocky Balboa, was asked why he trained so hard. He said, I need to win to prove that I am not a bum. See, friends, there is nothing wrong in pursuing goals and achievements. In fact, we all ought to be the best that we can be. But our identity, our meaning, and our significance in life cannot hinge on those things or, pe or on people or on outcomes because it will never be enough and it would be idolatry. And idolatry is sin. See, the only person, the only set of eyes we should have to prove ourselves to is Jesus. He is our source of meaning. He is our source of significance. And He is our sense of worth. True rest is only found in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Can I have the musicians come up? And so church, what does the practice of Sabbath rest teach us? Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of, out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. See, observing the Sabbath is to remind us of God's redemption and liberation from slavery. See, anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave. A slave to our own heart, our possessions, and our career. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means that you are not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, people's hopes, career demands, not even to your own insecurities. We need to learn to speak this truth to our hearts in triumphs. Otherwise, we will feel guilty for not taking time off or you will be unable to find true rest. Secondly, observing the Sabbath is also an act of trust. You see, God appointed the Sabbath to remind us that He is working and resting. To practice Sabbath is a disciplined and faithful way to remember that you are not the one who keeps the world running, who provides for your family, not even the one who keeps your career moving forward. See, we must see that God is there. We are not alone in our work. See, Jesus' famous message against worry in Matthew 6 is set in the context of work. You know, He actually chides us, gets angry with us, and tells us, that the plants of the field are cared for, though they do not labor or spin. He reminds us that we are more valuable to God than plants. So we shouldn't run after material things through our work. So if you are worrying during your rest, you are not practicing Sabbath. One last thing. What is the most important thing about the Sabbath? It is to observe to enjoy and to honour the goodness of God, His creation and also our own. 
You see, the story of creation was written in such a way that each day, each new creation is seen as a step toward a completion that occurred on the Sabbath. And what was the climax of creation? The act of stopping. God stopped after each creation. And He stopped fully when He finished everything. Now, why did God consider it so important to stop? He stopped to show us that what we create becomes meaningful only once we stop creating and start to think about why we did so. To appreciate and maybe to evaluate. See friends, we could let the world drive us and push us to much like robots that go on and on and on and on until we fall over or until we collapse. But that would make us less human. See church, we have to remember to stop. Why? Because we have to stop to remember the goodness of God.